Yes, Father God, that is our prayer this morning, that you would reveal Christ to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you give us, for the many blessings that we know. We thank you, Lord, for this money that has been given uh, this morning and for those who give regularly through the week. We pray that you would use these gifts so that others might see Jesus Christ as Lord here in Nottingham and across the world. And we pray as we come to your word now that you would show us Christ. In his name, amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. Uh, and if you've got uh, one of the little handouts with Psalm 103 on, do pick that up now. Um, if for whatever reason you haven't got one or it's been scribbled on by a child, um, you can also find Psalm 103 on page 605 of our church Bibles uh, or on your Bible app or wherever uh, you read the scriptures. In 1886, the Russian playwright Anton Chekhov wrote to his brother Alexander. Alexander had ambitions to be a writer too, and Anton was giving him some advice. He suggested that it was always better to provide the reader with a picture rather than merely a description, to paint the scene rather than just describe it. For instance, he said, you'll have a moonlit night if you write that on the mill dam, a piece of glass from a broken bottle glittered like a bright little star, and that the black shadow of a dog or a wolf rolled past like a ball. It's a principle uh, that is now a staple of creative writing. Show, don't tell. If you really want to, to capture readers' imagination, to draw them into your writing, well then don't just tell them things, show them, flesh it out, make it real. And while Chekhov may have been the first to put it down in writing, it's clearly a technique that has been employed for thousands of years. Our psalmist this morning puts it to good use. Verse 1 and 2, you see, begin by telling. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And friends, in, in some sense, uh, that is all he has to say. The purpose of this psalm is, is to stir himself to praise to remind himself that the Lord has given him much and that the right response is praise. And yet, wonderfully for us, he doesn't stop there. You see, this psalm is not just an instruction to praise. It is a demonstration where he spends two verses telling himself to praise. He then spends the next 20 showing what that will look like. And my prayer today, as we look at these words, is that we would be caught up in them, that our souls, our inmost beings, might be drawn to praise. Not just because we've been told to, but because we've been reminded, because we've been shown 
that our God is a glorious God, worthy of all honor and glory and praise, because our hearts have been stirred by the magnificent picture that the psalmist paints. And he begins close in with a very personal reflection. Praise the Lord, he says. Why? First, because he is the Lord who rescues you. Verse 2, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Well, the psalmist will go on to to broaden his scope and to speak of the majesty and glory of the God he praises, but not yet. First, we see his very personal, very individual reflections on all that the Lord has done. The one he praises is the one who has forgiven his sins, healed his diseases, redeemed his life. This is not some distant deity demanding deference from a generic subject. No, this is a personal saviour. One who has come close. Who has reached down. And who has lifted his beloved up. Praise the Lord who rescues you. And the impact is, is total. He forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. Now, it's not that this believer does not know the ravages of sin in his life. It's not that he never knows weakness or or sickness in this age. Indeed, the very next line assumes that he will one day die. To redeem one's life from the pit means resurrection, to be raised from the grave. But in fact, it, it is precisely that still to come aspect of his Savior's love that fills him with joy and thanksgiving. Whatever he may experience in the here and now, he will be crowned with love and compassion. He will be satisfied with good things. The picture is is of an eagle soaring effortlessly, enjoying the freedom for which it was created. It's not a denial of the realities of life, but it is a recognition of the reality of the Lord's rescue, a rescue that is ours if we too know this Lord. But which Lord, you may ask? Well, well, that's what we're shown next. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You see, the Lord who is to be praised is is not only personal in his dealings with his people, he is personal in the way that he makes himself known. 
praise the Lord, this psalm says, praise the Lord who reveals himself in history. No ancient Israelite could miss the, the echoes we find in these verses of the history of God's people. Not only is there the reference to Moses in verse 7, but then verse 8 is essentially a quotation from Exodus 34. As the Lord, the God of Israel, declares his name to Moses. The God whom we are called to, to praise is not some generic power. He is Yahweh. The God of Israel, the God of the Bible, this God, not any old God, this personal saviour God, not just a vague sense of well-being. So, says the psalmist to himself, as well as to us, stir your heart to praise, because this God has made himself known. He has made himself known as a, as a gracious and compassionate God. A God who has been at work throughout human history to bring about righteousness. All that is good and right and true. And to bring justice for those who are downtrodden. That is the kind of God we worship. That is the kind of God that we are to stir ourselves to praise. And you know, that is just one of the, the beautiful things about the scriptures for us today. As we read in these pages of the people of God through the centuries, from Eden on, we see our God. We see him at work to make himself known, to gather his people, to show himself as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And friends, that too is the beauty of testimony today. As we testify to his goodness, to his kindness, to his grace in our lives too. We ought to be those who, who cultivate a sense of our history. Our shared history in the pages of scripture and our own personal history too. Can we speak of how we have seen God at work? of how he has made his ways known to us. I want to give you just a, just a minute or two now to cast your mind back. If you're a believer, then, then just think back over the last few months, maybe the last year, go back further if you wish, and consider all that the Lord has done for you. How have you known his gracious, compassionate, loving kindness. Let that begin to stir your heart to praise. And if you're not yet a believer, well, well, then use the next couple of minutes of silence to reflect on the claim that we've heard in these verses. That the God who has revealed himself in history is, is the only true and living God. And that that God can be known personally. Can be known personally by you. How do you respond to that? So let's take just a, a moment's silence to consider the Lord who reveals himself in history.
the psalmist has shown us his own personal experience of God. He's taken us back in the story of of God's people to show us Yahweh at work. And now he takes us to the very centerpiece of history, to the great work of our Savior God. Verse 9, praise the Lord, he says, because he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from This is what happens when a gracious and compassionate God meets a people who need saving. What does he do? He saves. Praise the Lord who removes our sin. Because I wonder, did you notice there was no attempt to sweep it under the carpet here? Sin and its effects are the problem. They are the issue that keeps us from a closer relationship with the compassionate and gracious Lord. As he recalls who this God is, as he he sees his character revealed through his work in human history, so the psalmist is reminded again that this God is holy. He is just and right, pure and good. And the psalmist knows that he is not. His sins deserve the anger of this God. His iniquities demand repayment. As we come to our God in praise, how often do we find ourselves aware afresh of our own unworthiness? We cannot venture into the presence of this awesome and and majestic God without being made freshly aware of our sin of our lifelong tendency to rebel, to go our own way, to reject his rule in our lives. And yet, oh wonder of wonders, our God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. No, praise God, instead he comes to us to meet us in our failure and sin. He comes to us and offers forgiveness. For those who fear the Lord, says verse 11, those who come to him with a right and proper sense of awe, as we approach Yahweh, the great God, who has made himself known in human history, for those who fear him, his love is inexpressibly great. You know, there's a, a children's book called Guess How Much I Love You. In it, a, a baby hare tries to find the words to tell his dad how much he loves him. I love you to the moon, he eventually settles on. But you know, friends, our heavenly father doesn't leave us guessing. It's right here in his word. 
as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And so in his mercy, he deals with the problem of sin. He heals the rift between us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't just just sweep our wrongdoing under the carpet, pretend we've never fallen short, never let him down. No, it's better than that. It's better than that. He deals with it. He sorts it out. He removes it from us. When the psalmist first penned these words, he knew that sweet reality through the ancient sacrificial system. The blood of an animal was given in exchange for the forgiveness of sin. In his mercy, God made a way. But now, well now, of course, we know just what all those sacrifices were pointing to. Just what greater reality they foreshadowed. The sacrifice to end all sacrifice. The means by which we might supremely see the Lord's great love for us as he takes our sin away and puts it onto his only son, Jesus Christ. And as the Lord Jesus Christ willingly gives his life So your sin and mine, if we are in him, is dealt with. It is cast out as far as the east is from the west. I wonder today, can you feel the release of that? The joy, the freedom, the beauty. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Our God does not just tell us that he loves us. He shows us. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we see just what kind of God we are called to praise. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Oh, friends, what tenderness, what gentleness. The great God of all who saves us, who has revealed himself in history, who has removed our sin, he also remembers, he remembers the weak. As he comes to us in mercy and compassion, he does so fully aware of what we are, fully aware that we bring nothing to the relationship apart from our sin. In a world that cares only for the strong, the rich, the capable, 
in a world that ignores and, and dismisses and squashes those who don't measure up. What a wonderful truth. What a reason for praise that our God remembers the weak. The contrast couldn't be greater. He is everlasting and eternal, reliable and steadfast. We are flimsy and vulnerable. Our lives momentary and fleeting. And yet it is he who formed us, he who made us with a purpose, with dignity and value, with honor and significance. And so it is as we relate to him as creatures to our creator, it is only then that we may find our true fulfillment. Three times now we've been told that it is those who fear him who will know his love and compassion. And our independent Western minds recoil from the idea of fear. But it is absolutely right for those of dust to fear the one who breathed life into our feeble frames. A fear not born out of terror or trepidation, but rooted in awe and wonder, reverence and astonishment that he should remember me. But even then, we're weak. Where we should fear, so often we simply ignore, living our lives as though he were not there. Where he requires obedience, so often we go our own way, following the sinful desires of our flesh so quick to forget what he gave to redeem our lives from the pit. Where he requires covenant faithfulness, so often we show ourselves to be the faint and flimsy, fallible failures that we are. And yet even there, there is grace. The Lord Jesus Christ not only died our death, but he lived our life the one we were supposed to live. He lived it perfectly, always relating to the Father as he should, always obedient to his precepts, always keeping the covenant. Praise the Lord that we, the weak, may hide ourselves in him, in Jesus Christ, who in perfect weakness secured our salvation that we might now be raised with him in the Spirit's power, equipped and strengthened to become more like our Lord day by day, till he comes to call us home, to gather us around his throne with all the company of heaven, that our praise might mingle with theirs forever. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Our God who, who rescues us, 
who reveals himself in history, who removes our sin, who remembers the weak. Our God is the Lord who rules the heavens. How could we do anything other than praise him? As we reach the end of our psalm, it has been a breathless tour through the many benefits of the Lord. As our psalmist has sought not only to tell us, but to show us how to praise, so his words have tumbled out. Air being back and forth from the intimate, personal, tender picture of a father with his children to the majestic, mighty, all-powerful ruler who sits enthroned above. And that we might be privileged to know him both as mighty God and loving Father. What a wonder, what a marvel that he might be one and the same Lord. And yet how quickly we will forget. The psalmist knows it. That's why he wrote this psalm. So let me leave us with with three opportunities today. Three opportunities to stir our souls to praise. Three opportunities to forget not all his benefits. First, communion. In just a moment, we'll share bread and wine. And this simple meal is designed not only to tell, but to show God's love for us. As we eat bread and and drink wine, let those physical reminders stir your soul to praise. Let them renew your thanksgiving that in Christ Jesus, our compassionate and gracious Lord has removed our transgressions from us. He has redeemed our lives from the pit. And second, after the service today, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us show one another how he has been at work. Tell of of how you have known his love in your life and care for one another. Be the compassionate and kind people of this compassionate and kind God. And third, well, third, This psalm itself. What better way to stir your soul than to join this master musician in his panoply of praise? That's why we've we've printed them out on these cards, so that you can take them away with you and revisit these words. Three minutes. Three minutes. It'll take you no more. Three minutes to read these words. To let the psalmist show you God's love. To let the Lord himself stir you to praise. Surely you can find three minutes each day this week to read this psalm aloud. Three minutes to to praise the Lord who rescues us. To praise the Lord who reveals himself in history. 
to praise the Lord who removes our sin. To praise the Lord who remembers the weak. To praise the Lord who rules the heavens. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, my soul. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we praise you this morning. We give you all the honor and glory and praise. For you are the God who rescues us. The God who has revealed himself in history. The God who removes our sin, who remembers the weak. The God who rules the heavens. Oh, that we might come before you through your son, Jesus Christ, trusting in his blood shed for us. Oh, Lord, by your spirit, stir our hearts to lives of thanksgiving and praise. Not just as we gather on a Sunday, but in all that we do that ours might be souls who praise the Lord.